This is the Early Childhood Research Podcast and you're listening to Episode 15. Welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast, where we tell you how the latest research can help in your home and in your classroom. Hello, I'm Liz, the host of the Early Childhood Research Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us. This is Episode 15. And today I'm so pleased to have Dr. Clodie Tull, who is the head of the master's degree program in early childhood education at the Levinsky College of Teachers Education in Tel Aviv, Israel. Clodie's background is that she has a PhD in psychology from Bar Ilan University, Israel, and also a master's degree in clinical psychology from California State University in the U.S., She's been training undergraduate and postgraduate early childhood teachers for a long time, and academically, her special interests include classroom management, teacher values, teacher-child and teacher-parent relationships. Clody has been involved in extensive in-service training in communities throughout Israel, and when you listen to her talk about how they encourage their student teachers to develop classroom management skills, you'll find that it's very hands-on, very reflective, and perhaps quite confronting for those students too. So what I'm trying to say is that Clody is very much in touch with everyday teacher concerns and she feels very strongly about the need for an intentional and well-considered focus on classroom management. Clody has a new book which has just been published and you'll find the links to it in the show notes. Just go to lizesearlylearningspot.com, click on the podcast tab and look for episode 15. The book's title is Moral Classroom Management in Early Childhood Education, and it's the subject of our chat today. Clodie Tal, welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you really for inviting me to this talk. Congratulations on the publication of your book, Moral Classroom Management in Early Childhood Education. It's an interesting title because I'd imagine most teachers would bristle a bit if we suggest that their own management style isn't as moral as it could be. All of us have our own sense of morality and ethics, so I'm interested in hearing what led you down this path of what you term moral classroom management. What does moral classroom management mean to you? And in what ways does it differ from other ways of managing classrooms? Okay, really, I do understand the skepticism related to (laughs) the overuse of morality in declaration. Right. That's why I do appreciate your question. Everyone would declare that he's moral. No one would admit that he or she is not. Right. I think that there are big gaps between what people declare and what they really do Mm. in their daily practices. That's very true. Looking at the class from a moral classroom management perspective, means that you have to take into consideration the power struggles in your own class, power struggles between children and between the staff and the children, and to be able to overcome your own um, weakness to to prefer, let's say, the bright children mm. or the children who are similar to your own background, right. and to be able to see the well-being of all children, and also to be able to see and to understand and to accept the fact that children who don't achieve so well and whose behavior is really challenging and sometimes quite nasty, Mm. 
um, has become this way partly because uh, we as a society, uh, quote, helped them become that way. We didn't give them the whole opportunities to learn and looking at the class in a moral way is really to understand that you really are responsible for the well-being of all the children. Mm. And in my opinion, doing that involves struggling with yourselves all the way around. It's mm. not a, an initial stance that you can adopt and then live happily thereafter. Mm. It's something that really you have to, to struggle with yourself each and every time a child or a parent are challenging you. It's very easy to underestimate our own personalities and our own beliefs and philosophies and to underestimate what effect that has. Yes, I think that um, society at large doesn't accept weaknesses and biases and that's why we have to disguise them. I think it is much more useful to be conscious of our own biases and perceptions mm. and struggle them all the way around. Mm. And admit that we have these biases. I think that there is no person in the world who is not biased against someone. Right. Or some group of people. Yeah. And we have to accept and be able to be conscious about it and struggle it all the right. way around. Mm give an example of a student teacher in a graduate class who really um, confessed that she had about five young children speaking Russian as the first language mm. and she thought that none of them, them uh, spoke Hebrew. Right. And just about, about six months after the beginning of the school year, after talking with the mother of one of the children, she realized that one of the children was pretty fluent in Hebrew, but she, he or she, I don't remember, mm. didn't dare talk in Hebrew because he met her expectations not to speak in Hebrew. And just for her being able to admit it and say it aloud in front of a group of right. colleagues, I, I was very appreciative of her courage to do so because mm. I think this is the only way to combat our own biases. In your book, you devote three chapters to coping with challenging behaviours. You talk about encouraging teachers to look at each situation through the lens of moral classroom management. Can you give us an example of a simple situation that might occur in our classroom and how we might ordinarily look at it? And then how looking through this other lens can change our perspective and therefore change how we deal with the child or the children or the parents involved. Let me give you an example, which is pretty common, I think, in the experience of, of preschool teachers. Some girl or boy are being disruptive uh, during the plenary session. Mm. You know, the simple way of looking at it, not looking at it from a classroom management perspective, is to see this child as a disruptive child and to make a decision related on what happened on, on sport. Pretty often in Israel, they would send the child away right. or threaten that if he'll be thrown away from the plenary or would be threatened that uh, he'll be told to the parents or something. Right. And I think that this sort of dealing with the problem 
just make things worse for the child. It mm. helps him win a worse reputation by his peers. Right. And also doesn't give him any motivation to try to put an effort in improving his behavior. Mm. But I've seen teachers who are really more classroom morally uh, oriented who might be able really to turn things around, to encourage children, you know, to move around, to dance. She would hug the child and uh, give him the feeling that he's part of the whole class Mm. and give him the chance to regulate his behavior while not pointing on his his problematic behavior in front of his peers. This would be an example of really looking from a classroom management perspective and understanding that when you do stuff with a child, you have an audience Mm. and you have uh, attitudes and uh, reputations made about him and and you are influencing self-efficacy beliefs. So looking at it really a little bit from above and not giving in to your anger is really to do something that is really more creative, Mm. looking at more long-term effects of your intervention. I imagine part of this process is getting to know the children very well and being able to foresee when the behaviour is coming on to try and manage the behaviour before it gets extreme. Exactly, and therefore really one of the components in the model of classroom management in the book is to look at the classroom proactively. Getting a knowledge with the children is just one tool to help you make decisions based on proactive thinking, to think ahead of time what might be happening and really to plan even ahead of time the way that you are teaching in a way that adapts these children who are more special need children. We need to be more strategic. To be more strategic and to prevent behavior problems from outbursting or to diminish their effect. It's clear that you hold concerns that children from diverse and underprivileged backgrounds are given the opportunity to thrive in early childhood programs. How does using a moral classroom management lens help us as teachers be more effective with these children and their families? I think that a little bit I addressed this question beforehand when I talked about being self-conscious and being able to fight our own biases. Right. In order to do that, you really have to be devoted to children, whatever their background would be, Mm. and to like to be around them uh, to some extent, but really to also be self-conscious about your own biases related to children's religions or or ethnic backgrounds or even uh, gender. Just one teacher told me this morning, we were talking about uh, a situation, that a math teacher said that she hated boys in her class. Oh. In an elementary school. Goodness. And she was pretty much, she said it once and again, Mm. and she was promoted. And this person I was talking with, she's a counselor, Mm. was saying, how can someone like that who states openly that hates boys in her class how can she be teaching and and being promoted to a position that she is responsible on other teachers? Yes. So really biases can be pointed against all kinds of groups at different times. Mm. There are some people who bias girls or boys or homosexual right. students yeah. or teachers or whatever. 
Mm. And really, you have to be self-conscious about your biases that, um, mm. and be able to learn even gradually that diversity is part of the human existence. Right. Really, it's a matter of luck if I was born as a white or black person. Mm. So mm. it's not something that is good or bad, just as you have blue or right. brown eyes. Right. Sometimes the color of the skin has a very strong effect on mm. people, but it really is a pigment on your skin. Mm. And you have to be aware of these biases and of the irrational nature of these biases. Mm. Mm. To be able to work for the sake of underprivileged children, you have to, to have some social awareness of what's going on in your society. And I really think that in colleges and universities, more emphasis needs to be put on sociology and anthropology studies and not only on psychology. Right. And I'm saying that the development psychologist really think that just looking from a psychological perspective It is useful, but it, it is really insufficient. You have to look at the class and at the children from a sociological and anthropological perspective in order to better understand mm. the complexity of the society that is being represented in each class that you are being teaching. Mm. So I suppose some of that is that we think we understand other ethnic groups or underprivileged children, but in actual fact, our understanding is probably fairly superficial. I very much agree with you. And I think that, first of all, we don't understand it. And I think that the second problematic part is to consider that the group that you belong to is superior to other groups. Right. Them imitate or, or absorb our culture and then they are nice people. But mm. it's really not, not to accept really to look at at differences between groups of people from a multicultural perspective. I like what you just said about the children learning to understand our culture. So we're kind of teaching them to pretend and teaching them to fit in with the majority culture, but they're not being shown respect for their own culture. So that can become a problem with their own sense of identity, I suppose. Exactly, and they do pay a price by by really being nice to us and then they are being appreciated, but really they're paying a price in the, developing their own identity and accepting their own roots. We would sometimes do that because we want a peaceful classroom, we want a well-run classroom, we want the children to behave well and focus. Yes, and I think that we want to be very efficient and to do things fast and well without stopping and thinking what the consequences of what we are doing in the long run on the children are. Mm. I think that in the West, in Israel, we are pretty much imitating uh, the United States. Efficiency and speed come at the expense of looking at things in a deeper way and right. just halting and pondering what you are doing and mm. what the children are being What I love the most about your book is that you've used case studies, real-life classroom situations, to delve into management issues. Your book tells us how the teacher initially reacted and then how their reflection process goes and how they've decided they'll react to a similar situation the next time. How important is it for us as teachers to dissect how we've managed our kids during each day? Do we really have time to do that? 
fact, it is very important because if you don't document episodes and if you don't reflect on them and if you don't discuss them with other people, you can't evolve and develop in the way that I was talking about. Right. But I think that the lack of time is a question of priorities. Mm. I don't think it's impossible. I think that the workload is very big now, but it's a question of deciding how to spend the time according to your priorities. In preschools, I know it for a fact that if they think it is important, that no one would stop them from documenting it. And they think that the price is to uh, to teach less topics. Right. Which, in my opinion, is a bearable price because what is important is to, to learn things in depth and not superficially. So that's true. If you teach less topics, but you mm. teach them well... And take time to document and to reflect on what you've been doing. Mm. And also in early childhood, socialization is so hugely important that really needs to be a priority for us, doesn't it? Social skills are very important in preschool and build the foundation of social competencies. But I really think that it's a very important issue for high school students and I think that it is enormously overlooked right. at those ages too. Yes. I found it interesting that you included a chapter on emergent curriculum in your book. How can looking through a moral lens actually encourage us to make changes in what we're teaching and how we're teaching it? Modern accepted definitions of classroom management look at learning and well-being conditions as interrelated. Really, it is quite old-fashioned to look at classroom management as dealing primarily with social issues. Right. And I don't think that you can create good learning conditions without creating good emotional and social conditions for the children. Yep. Adopting an emergent curriculum means enhancing learning and children participation. It is related to moral classroom management in two ways. First of all, just like the perception of moral classroom management in the book, it is an evolving approach mm. that needs to be developed and coordinated and adapted to children and staff and their interests. To institute an emergent curriculum means you need to look at the class ecologically and get mm. acquainted with the children and parents. You have to think proactively to adapt a leadership approach, to collaborate with staff and parents and always be on a reflective path ready to modify and adapt plans and action to go accommodate changing needs. So mm. it's really the same thing, like looking more broadly at learning in addition to social and emotional areas of function. So you're including the curriculum in that we need to look at the children in our classroom and say, well, this topic I taught last year is really not relevant to these children, so I need to change it. Or even the same topic when you are teaching it to different groups of children needs to be modified and adapted to the two groups right. because it is never identical in two groups if you are adopting an emergent curriculum type of perception because the participants are different and children participate in different ways and are interested in different issues. That's right. Even if you are focusing on the main topic, let's say birds, you can focus on birds in two groups, right. focusing on completely different aspects of birds. Mm. 
Clodagh, you've been running teacher training programs and Master of Education programs for a long time. There are so many skills and so much knowledge that student teachers and new teachers have to develop to feel successful in the classroom. What kind of priority does classroom management usually get during teacher training? And is it enough so that new teachers can generally feel confident in their ability to cope? I think that your questions really include two parts. The first one deals with the extent of training focused on classroom management. And the second one uh, emphasizes a multitude of skills included in classroom management. Mm. And they have to say something about both issues. Okay. I'm trying to conceptualize classroom management as a complex meta-competency rather than a bunch of unrelated skills. Right. And that might make things easier or more coherent, in my opinion. And the moral classroom management included in the book presents classroom management as a meta-skill. As of your second question, not enough emphasis is being put on this complex meta-competency. I'm talking both about the quantity of courses and learning related to classroom management in teacher education and about the processes and experiences that are being offered to student teachers and veteran teachers. Classroom management suffers from quite a bad reputation in the academic world Mm. as compared, for example, to leadership that is, uh, in in my opinion, the only a component of classroom management and still leadership enjoys a much more glorious reputation in the academic world than classroom management. When you say it has a different reputation, are you saying that more people want to study leadership and there's less research on classroom management? What I mean is that in the academic world, not in the teacher's world, people think that leadership is more worthwhile to be researched. This decision doesn't take into consideration the ecological nature of life in classes. Right. Classroom management is much more relevant and acute for teachers. Mm. And I think that uh, the teachers do appreciate classroom management, but I think that in universities and even teacher colleges, it is not enough appreciated and therefore not enough emphasized in the, the training. That's what we're dealing with every day in the classroom, all day, every day. So it is a high priority for us. So you're saying that researchers don't understand how high a priority it actually is? That's it. Exactly. This is what I mean. I feel that I'm struggling all the time to make justice to this concept in the academic environment that I'm in. Because I really think that uh, the way people conceptualize classroom management is not accurate enough because classroom management takes both cognitive competencies Mm. like understanding of the classroom life, being able to analyze situations Mm. and skills and competencies. And I think that more often people look at classroom management as something like dealing in a behavior modification way with challenging behaviors and don't perceive it really from an iceberg perception. Don't see the, the whole complexity of this skill. 
You obviously place a high emphasis on the development of classroom management skills. So how do you encourage growing mastery in your students over their years in your teaching programs? My perceptions of classroom management have been developing for about 15 years. From the first year of fieldwork, what I'm doing is encouraging students to write a journal and to write down social episodes, narratives, of meaningful situations they are encountering in the fieldwork to uh, reflect on them and to analyze them. That's one thing that they've been doing from the very beginning until the very end, also graduate students. So they do it throughout their course. Well, I've been encouraging when I headed the BED program, the college mentors and the fieldwork mentors to encourage students to write these episodes in their courses. Right. In addition to that, we offer a course in the second year of studies called Social Competence when they learn to document and build an intervention program for children with either challenging behaviors or social difficulties. The students have to look at the class in an ecological manner, not only to build a behavioral program for the child, but rather to look at the interactions with the teachers and with the peers and a little bit with parents and to learn how the environment doesn't help children develop their social skills Mm. and how the environment, the teacher and mainly the teachers and the assistants and parents have to change their own interactions and behaviors in order to allow the children to enhance their social skills And I've seen students in their second years of studies implementing plans like that, that I think that were much better than what psychologists would do. I am a psychologist (laughs) by training. Right. And because I don't see the children on a daily basis, I can be, in my opinion, much less useful to the children having social problems or Mm. behavioral problems than teachers are. Of course, they can do less harm than teachers can do. Mm. During this whole year, students would plan and implement two such plans and they do reach some skills and also a more ecological understanding that behavioral and social difficulties are placed in social environment and are not placed in the child, him or herself only. He can't help it without the help of the teacher. So you're saying if you're making up a special education plan for a child that's having difficulties socially, that we shouldn't focus down on the child. We should be looking at the whole environment in the classroom and the teacher and all the other children because you can't just work on one child in isolation. Yeah, on interactions and on attitudes teachers have. And in the third year, They are doing a classroom management seminar and they have to perform an action research focused on an issue that they define that is challenging for them. Right. And that issues can be related to challenging behaviors or diversity or emergent curriculum. You've seen it in the chapters in the book. But this time they are looking more from what I call from above, from an hybrid perspective, much more than from looking at the child and his interactions, looking at the classroom a little bit from above, but dealing with it when focused on a specific and well-defined issue and not 
globally without focusing on something. Right. This last year, I had three students who attempted quite successfully to enhance literacy skills in children, both in preschool and, and the first grade school ages, by improving their classroom management. Mm. Learning interactions with children cannot be qualitative enough because of problems in their classroom management, such right. as not good enough collaboration with staff or small group work, which is not well enough organized right. and other children disturbing the small group work. And they've been doing very nice work this coming year, just affecting the classroom management in an action research style, just uh, working out cycles of interventions, they succeeded to improve the children's literacy skills. And also they had, in two of the three cases, also collaborated with parents. Clody, I'll put a link to your book in the show notes, but is it aimed at a particular audience? Who will get the most out of reading your book? I think that uh, the book might be helpful to teachers, both in preschool and elementary and mm-hmm. the high school, school both to veteran teachers and in training programs. I think that it can be used as a textbook. I intend to use right. it as a textbook in my class. Right. And also I think that the policy makers would be benefited by reading this type of book, so this book in particular, just by looking at classroom management in a different way. And also mm. administrators in universities and colleges might be benefited by looking at it and broadening their perceptions of what classroom management is. Because you're saying that often it's not taught enough in universities. I think so. And I think that I'm not the only person who thinks so. I think that it is an underestimated and undertaught topic and under-researched. I feel like in a lot of courses, it might be just one subject that's taught once in their three or four years. They just do one classroom management course in the middle somewhere and then that's it. Yeah, and the problem is not only that it is uh, only a one unit course, but it, um, it is not uh, necessarily related to their fieldwork and to the develop- particular development of the students themselves. And they think that that way they don't benefit this coursework too much Mm. because learning about social learning processes only theoretically without connecting them with your own practice and Mm. with your own personality and identity as a teacher is not helpful in training. It's just to say that you took a unit and to forget about it. I really like the way that you've put that. It's very true. Clody, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been really wonderful to talk to you. I'm sure lots of our listeners will be thinking about their own habits in the classroom and what they can tweak to make each day even more positive and encouraging for all their children. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for interviewing me. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Clody Tal. You can find the full transcript plus links to Clody's website and book by going to lizardsearlylearningspot.com, clicking on the podcast tab and looking for episode 15. You'll also find a link to a post called Classroom Management and New Teacher Anxiety, which I wrote last year with the aid of one of Clody's research papers, but it talks about the kinds of personal qualities we as teachers can develop to improve the way we manage classrooms and to reduce some of our stress. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to iTunes to leave a rating and review. It increases the odds that other teachers, parents and carers will find the podcast. This podcast is part of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts by educators, podcasts for educators. To check out more education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for joining me to learn more about early childhood research, and I wish you happy teaching and learning. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Research Podcast at www.lizsearlylearningspot.com.